The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth. But no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Well, it's good to be with you all today. I know I am not Steve Noble. Um, He has been called away to uh, referee the fight between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, actually. So make sure you catch that. Um, we are uh we have some exciting things to do today so please uh stay with us. Uh we're going to investigate and talk about something that actually is affecting the churches today. Um I know a lot of you have been hearing about um LGBTQ ideology um all kinds of different things going on especially in the United Methodist Church with people uh bringing in uh transsexuals to uh teach to the kids All these things are going on, and it sounds terrible, but there are even uh, groups within the church that are sponsored by churches, even churches that would be that would consider themselves quite um, conservative, that are now um, giving in to the LGBTQ uh, ideology. And one of those places uh, is called uh, Revoice, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Revoice. Today, I have a guest with me. His name is Dr. Andrew Dion. He is a local pastor here in Greenville, South Carolina. And I would like uh, you to uh, tell us, Andrew, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your church. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are. And um, and then we'll get to more stuff about the, the other thing. Okay. Since 2011, I've been the pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church. It's on the uh, west side of Spartanburg. And uh, about, I'd say, four years ago, we left the PCA and uh, went into a smaller group of churches called Evangel Presbytery. And so I've been uh, I've been pastoring there. What is it now? Twelve years, dozen years. It's hard to believe. Wow. And uh, I have six kids, a lovely wife, and uh, that's about that's about all there is to know about me. <laughs> Now there is there is some interesting things about you that I think um qualify as to what we're talking about today. Now um I have uh I introduced you as Dr. Yes. Uh, Andrew Dion. So what's what's this doctorate in and what's that all about? Well before I trained um at seminary for the pastorate, I I got an undergraduate, a master's and a doctorate in music composition. So I did my undergraduate work at the University of North Carolina, and then I went to Indiana University uh, for their excellent school of music, where I got the master's and doctorate composition. Of course, Indiana University is home to the Kinsey Institute, and the school of music has over, I don't know how many students anymore, but when I was there, it had over 2,000 students just in the school of music. And the culture of the school of music was sort of suffused with homosexuality, as mm-hmm. you might expect at a large research institution and a school of music. Mm. Now, what, what drew you into the ministry from there? I was working in a church. Uh, during, during the time that I was finishing my doctorate, I started a pastoral internship at a, at a church called Church of the Good Shepherd in Bloomington. 
and uh, was really testing a call to the ministry during my time there. And so the elders at the the end of my tenure uh, sent me off with their blessing to uh, to go to seminary and get training for the ministry. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm I'm introducing you that way because um, it's going to be important how we even approach this whole thing because as we talk about this group uh revoice um they it has ties into the denomination um that you are one point a part of um but what's even more important about this uh about this group is how subtly it came about i guess from the perspective of other other churches and the layperson seeing this. Could you tell us just a little bit um, about what Revoice is? Yeah, Revoice is a conference that was put together uh, initially in the year 2018. So we're talking five years ago. They recently had their sixth national conference, uh, usually in St. Louis. I think all of them have met in St. Louis. And so it's it's been a place where they have been promoting the gay celibate Christian movement. Mm. And the gay the gay celibate Christian movement um when it come when you talk about homosexuality and Christianity there are two sides of the question there's a side A B side A and a side B and the side A Christians believe that everything's uh, licit, that you can, you know, homosexual relationships are fine, homosexual marriage is fine, homosexual coupling is fine. The side B uh, gay uh, Christian movement um, believes that uh, they're holding to a historical sexual ethic, and so they don't believe in, in gay marriage, they don't believe in that. They really believe that you can be gay and a gay Christian, but that you cannot act on those motions and that lust. And so they advocate for celibacy. Okay. So you can see. And that's revoice. Revoice is side B, not side A. Right. Good. So you can see how, on uh, how revoice in, in a way is trying to take the more conservative side uh, between those two options. And so you could see how people from conservative churches are thinking, oh, this is a way we can help these people that might be, if I can use this term, and we might you know, revisit this term later, but struggling mm-hmm. with same-sex attraction, and now there's a place for them to be and to, to find a way, you know, freedom from this, um, from this sort of thing. Well, it they wouldn't say they're seeking freedom from it, uh-huh. right? I mean, if you go back before Revoice, um, you remember ministries like Exodus. Mm-hmm. And really their purpose was to make those who had homosexual temptation uh, be free from those temptation. It was mm-hmm. called an ex-gay ministry. Gotcha. And so Revoice has come along and, and they repudiate that. They say it's cruel to call people to deny desires that God gave them. So they would say, they would claim that their desires are God-given, that they've, it's all they've known, that they've lived with homosexual, same-sex attraction their entire lives. And so now it's, it's a matter of uh, keeping it in line. 
Well, Voice, um, a group that started out, as we found out, as as just a, a conference, conference for people that uh, struggled with same-sex attraction, and a way for them to uh, talk to each other, to get guidance, to get um, to get training, maybe, um, and things like that. Uh, and you were just talking about how um, before the break that the the main difference that we saw in in revoice was that they were not trying to stop the feelings of same sex attraction that was Correct. not the goal correct um that the goal really was how do i live with the same sex attraction and not go side a and not go side a right how do i live with it and how and it's not necessarily how to kill it or how to mortify it, but how how can I be happy yeah. and live with this within what they call the historical Christian sexual ethic? Okay, so they're so they're not, so they're really just getting to the idea that I have these feelings. I need to I need to resist the actual act. That's where the sin is. Mm-hmm. But having these feelings actually are not the sin part. Otherwise, we'd have to try and get rid of that too. Correct. Um, so, I had I went to their website and I I looked at their mission. Uh, let me read uh, their mission. Their mission is this: to support and encourage gay, lesbian, bisexual, and other same-sex attracted Christians, as well as those who love them, so that all in the church might be empowered to live in gospel unity while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. Could you put that into terms that that are just simple for us? Well, the first thing I would say in, you know, in refreshing my memory on this mission statement is you notice how it it's shocking for them to say gay Christian or lesbian Christian or same-sex attracted Christian. They don't, they are happy to hold together an identity of Christian with an, with a sexual identity. Mm. Right. And they, they don't, uh, they are not willing to see that the, the Christian identity would be uh, more comprehensive or overarching or overcome the, um, what we would say are sinful um, identities, right? Uh, Same-sex attracted, bisexual. They, um, and now now they've extended the alphabet. They were very clear early on that they were GLBT, and now it's the QIA plus that's mm-hmm. on there. And they, they um, Revoice often talks about sexual minorities and ministering to sexual minorities of all kinds. And you assume if they use the LGBTQIA+, that includes all sexual minorities that they want to uh, minister to them within the context of the Christian church. Hmm. And yet their, their, call, their call is to um, celibacy. Now, they say in their mission statement that they want to observe and toe the line of the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. And yet I think if I were go, to go to talk to the organizers of Revoice and I would say, well, the historic Christian doctrine of marriage 
-hmm. is that if you burn, you marry. Mm -hmm. And they would say, yeah, but we burn in the wrong direction. Therefore, we can't marry. Therefore, celibacy is what I must hold to. Right. But but scripture says, if you if you burn, you should marry. Mm. And in fact, if you if if you talk with um, if you talk with those who have given themselves over to homosexual sin, uh, men will often say that it, they could go either way. Mm. And and so um, there there's lust there. There is an attraction it may be pro- predominantly one way, but they could go both ways. And so they see it as hopeless that, that I might exhort them, well, look, if you, if you lust, you burn. If you lust, if, if you burn, you marry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they're being told, if you lust, be celibate. Mm-hmm. And celibacy has a horrible track record in the history of the Christian church. <laughs> Okay, do, yeah. we, we could we could do an episode on how celibacy has led to all kinds of sexual mm-hmm. perversion. Okay, but they're being asked to embrace that very difficult, and I would say we're all called to chastity, mm-hmm. and only those who have a gift of chastity can be celibate. But celibacy mm-hmm. should not be the goal yeah. for those who who burn. Boy. And you know what's uh, Romans one is very clear that it's not just the act of homosexuality that's a sin, but it's the desires are also pinpointed as part of the sin. And so, if you if you are if you have these desires, and this is the and this is where you know semantics become mm-hmm. an issue. Do I think there's a difference between my attraction? And what the Bible talks about as desires. Um, I mean, if you can if you can thread that needle, good luck. But I mean, it really comes down to: Do you feel that you are oriented towards those desires, and there's no hope of getting away from them? Um, because then we have a problem with Romans six, right? Because Romans six says you're no longer a, a you know sin is no longer a master over you. Correct. And so if these desires are a master over you and there's no freedom, then we really have theological problems with this idea that same-sex attraction really isn't the bad part. You know, back in 2018 when we were trying to figure this out, and that's when it hit, and really the story hit through Al Baker and Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship. He broke the story that this revoice was happening in a Presbyterian church in America church in St. Louis. And he, um, he, you know, it was confusing. Are they, are they truly standing for the historic doctrine of, of chastity? And yet you would go, one of the major organizers of the first conference um, had under his Twitter handle, hashtag gay Christian. Okay, and so as soon as you start using that language of identity, mm. you're sa- you're speaking volumes, and so that's sort of the triggers. Once you see that this conference is kicking up, and the speakers are boasting in their identity, mm. their sexual identity, uh, not just being a Christian and being free from sin, and so that really uh, triggered all of us. And so it was really the summer summer of 2018, just months. Uh, I think it happened in the first conference happened in July, mm-hmm. 
and we were breaking the story on Moorhorn Media in about the previous month. Mm. And uh, and so then it became very clear once they put up their blurbs for all the conference speakers what exactly uh, they were espousing. Okay. Now you mentioned Warhorn Media. Um, I want the I want our listeners to know where they can find more materials on this written by you and others. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about Warhorn Media? Yeah, go to warhornmedia.com and search for Revoice, and it will pull up uh, fifty or so articles that we've written over the past five years addressing this. Okay. And what you'll see in some of those is that a lot has changed with with Revoice as to how it started and where it is now and so we'll talk more about that when we come back back um and we are talking about revoice the movement um started out as a as a conference for people struggling with same-sex attraction has turned into an entire movement um it started out with particular protestant churches uh some many of them in the pca Presbyterian Church of America. That's the conservative one. Just so for those of you that don't know, the PCUSA is the one that's completely off the rails. Mainline. Mainline. Yeah. That's probably a nicer way to put it, isn't it? Uh, but they, uh, but the PCA. You know, there's a lot of good conservative churches in the PCA, and um, but now, can you tell us um, how big and pervasive Revoice has gotten? Well, I mean, it's continued on since 2018 without stopping even though they've faced an extreme amount of backlash from conservative denominations. The PCA has been trying to figure out how to deal with Revoice since 2018. And Presbyterian polity grinds at a very slow pace. And the the way there are two approaches that were basically taken to try to deal with this movement that was gaining ground in the denomination. And there was intense debate over the course of three or four, even, I mean, since then, all the general assemblies where all the churches get together um, have debated this issue. And there are basically two approaches that uh, that church has taken, which is church discipline for anybody who's espousing these views, so the Presbytery disciplining pastors, and then trying to shore up their book of church order, their constitutional documents. Mm-hmm. And one of the areas they've been trying to shore up is to put language in the BCO that would, for instance, um, not allow those who who um, boast of a sexual identity to be ordained. Mm-hmm. None of those have passed. Mm-hmm. They can't get it through the presbyteries. So there's a three-part process. I won't go into that, but it's just not its not making it through the presbyteries. So there's not much of a will to even shore up the BCO, the Book of Church Order. And then all the um, all the attempts to discipline pastors who are heavily involved in Revoice have all failed, and um, and yet the main the main church, Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, that hosted the first Revoice, left the denomination last year, and the pastor also left the denomination, and he was one of the uh, figureheads, Greg Johnson. He came out as gay in the pages of Christianity Today in mm. 2019, I believe it was, or 2020, okay. and uh, and so that 
not much has been able uh, to happen in the denomination, but there has been many attempts to try to to clean things up. I'm not mm-hmm. sure the will. Unfortunately, I'm not sure the will is is there. Okay. Well, what about our listeners who are like, okay, well, that's fine for you know those weirdo Presbyterians, whatever their yeah. issue is. Right. Um, I go to you know maybe they're saying I go to a small independent Baptist church um, in the middle of a cornfield, and this stuff isn't going to hit us. Um, what what would you say to someone that might feel that this this issue is far away from from their church? I mean, if your son or daughter is connected to the internet, hmm. it doesn't have to be a smartphone. It could just be old school, like a computer. <laughs> if they are taking in the culture through devices, uh, they are bumping up against this, and they are being deceived mm. by the evil one that this will somehow bring them satisfaction. And we know how impressionable young people are, how we all are very impressionable. And so when when a mass of people goes in one direction, mm-hmm. it's very hard to resist that direction and then take a take a a 17 a 14-year-old boy who's who can barely get out of bed because he's he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't want to face people making fun of him at school. And these messages are coming across on reels that he's looking at on his phone. Mm. I mean it's and and it's all lies. But he doesn't have the discernment yeah. to know their lies, and so this this sin just works. This leaven works into our lives in this way, and we really have to be careful to uh, protect our children from that. And I'm not talking about like filters on your internet, though you should do that. I'm really talking about talking to them mm. about what biblical sexuality is. What does it mean to be a man? Mm. What does it mean to be an effeminate man? What does it mean to be a woman, right? What does it mean to be a butch woman? Mm. And actually going through those categories and not being embarrassed about the fact that you're telling your young, you're telling your sons to be hard men. Mm. You're telling them not to be soft men, mm. right? And you're, you're, you're exhorting your daughters to um, be, you know, that, that uh, quiet and gentle spirit of femininity, Mm-hmm. You're you're making them love those things so that when they're confronted with lies, they can then recognize the lie. Yeah. And think about how what you just said sounds so absolutely offensive. Because of the because of the constant barrage of entertainment that we take in to the point where and this is something that I think all of our listeners, especially if you are a parent or a grandparent, being cautious of young people and their private life. Mm. Uh, young people, they they will take a, their private life and and like Gollum, hold it t- close to them, and and in front of you they will smile, and in front of you they will have all these you know they know what to say. They'll probably even tell you how much they enjoy church and their youth group. But what is going on in their private life when the door is shut, when no one's around? when the light of a screen is on them, um, that is, that's where the battle is. It's, it's very hard to confront them, though, because, one, our own hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. 
and and two, whenever we confront our children, especially on something like sexuality, and they've been drinking in lies, it feels like it's a game of brinksmanship. And at any moment, though, they could entirely cut you off. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. Yeah. Right. And and so there there is tact that that comes into this, but don't be afraid of brinksmanship. Be a man. Mm-hmm. Be a mom, be a dad, right? Mm-hmm. And care for your children, but talk through these things. And it's not all punitive and negative. It's building a picture of of godly femininity. Revoice is selling effeminacy as a Christian option. Mm. And we should just say no. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this before the show started. You know, if same-sex attraction really is a sin and Romans chapter one is, is, is right. And so, you know, it's God breathes. Yeah. So we believe it's right. So if same sex attraction is a sin, then what if we replaced other sins with, as an adjective for Christian? Um, would we, would we say pedophile Christian, as long as they don't act on it, they are children attracted Christians. I mean, who would want to hold on to that? I think that thought experiment is rather devastating to the whole uh, view of holding together a sinful identity and and, uh, and an identity in Christ. Mm. It's just a simple thought experiment that knocks it all down. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the, I think the most difficult thing we have to do as parents is constantly remind our children that identity in Christ is something you should want. I mean, I think they they often think, I want to be special, I want to be different. People, you know, in this world, um, you know, can convince us um, how special we can be if we start questioning our gender, or we start questioning our sexuality, and that makes us special. But identity in Christ just is not special. Mm. Um, what would you say to someone that thinks that way or talks that way? I would, that's a good question. I think I would say that the church has failed, mm-hmm. right? The church has failed to put marriage and the marriage bed and all those creation ordinances from early in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. We've, we have, uh, we've gotten embarrassed by them because our culture is, is militating against them, but we, we just have to camp out there and make sure that there's a constant, constant building up of, mm-hmm. of male and female, right? And uh, God made male and female mm-hmm. and continually say that. And uh, marriage is good and of God and the marriage bed is to be undefiled and, and build it up as a beautiful thing because it is. And yeah. those of us in, in marriage know that. And how do we, and this is, you know, when we come back, we'll talk more about this, but we really need to start thinking about the fact that we don't believe the Bible. I mean, we, whenever I talk about effeminacy in men, um, I always hear, well, what does that even mean? We can't, we don't even know what that really means. So how can we even, you know, push any of that? Well, Paul, you know, was concerned about the length of men's hair. And that's God breathed. So what's that about? I mean, you know, All right. Well, welcome back. We are 
talking about Revoice, the uh, movement that has um, that came about for people that were struggling with same-sex attraction and then ended up becoming a place that rewarded same-sex attraction um, and even believed it to be, uh, in some cases, a gift from God um, because we have denied, I believe what some of them have said is we've denied the culture that is good and, you know, just because the act is bad. And so I want to talk about that. Um, it seems as, as I read through the New Testament, the New Testament is not interested in getting as close to the edge of sin as possible, um, as long as you don't go over the edge. Um, and so there's always seems to be this We've, I guess when I, what I'm trying to say is in the New Testament, I'm always surprised how strict uh, God seems to be about his holiness. Um, and so when it comes to homosexual acts, I mean, is that really the only place where, you know, sin occurs with someone who is suffering from same-sex attraction? Or is there more to it? than that? Is it is it actually more strict than just that? Well, I think this is a really important point, and I think this is perhaps the the best um the best refutation of the position of those in the revoice uh paradigm. If you go to first Corinthians six, nine through eleven, you'll notice that Six, nine through eleven, nine and eleven are both bookended with the same phrase. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? And then at the end, it's um, uh, do you not know that this long list of those who are committing various sins will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, so very clear. It's bookended by okay. Here's what will disqualify you from inheriting the kingdom of God. And then it says, so it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Hmm. Right? So it's he starts a list off of sins with do not be deceived. So the Apostle Paul is going after the, the church in Corinth that has grown used to their own brand of sexual sin, which is incest. Man had his father's wife, hmm. right? And so... Here, he, he's, he's like, you guys are deceived. Don't be deceived, right? Mm -hmm. So it, um, we can be so easily deceived when it comes to analyzing revoice and maybe wanting to read the best from it. But don't be deceived. Mm -hmm. And then the list of sins is, is, very, um, is very informative on this front because... Uh, the scripture goes on to say, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you noticed in there that it said, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the, the King James Version says effeminate and I can't remember how they translate or senakoitai. Um, it's a phrase that they put in there. But the key word is that effeminate word, and the Greek is malakoi. And it means soft ones or soft men, right? Because it's in the masculine. So soft men. 
And often that's that's translated to mean like the um, that word and the next word are translated to mean active and passive partners and homosexual uh, acts. Mm -hmm. And so um, and it certainly includes that. But the word malakoi is much bigger. That's the word that Jesus used when he was defending the uh, John the Baptist. And he said up in the in Herod's past, uh, um, Herod's home is where those who wear uh, soft flowing robes live, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it had this sense of soft, luxurious, flowing robes. And so when applied to a man, it really is talking about the man playing a woman. Mm. He's being soft. He's a soft man. And so um, so we don't have to be uh, mealy-mouthed or confused about whether effeminacy is condemned in Scripture. Um, this word malakoi was used by the Greeks um, mm -hmm. as, uh, as a synonym for cowards, mm -hmm. for weaklings. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's shocking to us, though. It's shocking that we would read a passage in Scripture that says soft men will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. It, it's, it's like uh, taking, you know, smelling salts. When you, when you hear that, it's <laughs> like, what? And what does that mean? And what does that mean for me? Is this like a, does Scripture require men to be macho? Well, no. Scripture requires men to obey the sex that God made them, mm -hmm. right? Scripture requires men uh, to be strong, mm -hmm. right, and take the kingdom by force, which means to fight their own sins first, mm -hmm. right, and, uh, and to be strong and sturdy and not to play the woman. A man who plays a woman, a man who, who has the affect of a woman, is what this passage is talking about. Mm -hmm a man who does not want to take on responsibility, a man who sits in his parents' basement till he's 30 playing games, is a malakoy. Mm. He doesn't want responsibility. He doesn't want to bear weight. He doesn't want to uh, fight his sin. He just rolls, goes with the flow. Mm. And so there's a whole world in that word malakoy. Yeah. And we, and, um, we have to be careful about uh, how that word is translated in scripture translations today, because many translation committees are doing a very poor job and want to cover it up because they're ashamed of the word effeminate. Yeah. They don't know what to do with it. And I've seen even uh, conservative people try to say, well, Malakoy is limited only to the sexual position. And so it, it's not, it's not needed because homosexual catamite, covers it. Catamite, sodomite. Yeah. Right. The problem with that, of course, is that when this was written, this was written in Hellenistic time, when many men um, would take young boys um, and use them for their own pleasure. It was a, what we would call today rape. Um, yes. And so then we're stuck with, if that's the translation and it's limited only to that position, then what we're really saying is, you know, even if someone has taken you up and and decide to use you uh, for sexual pleasure, you're going to hell too. Hmm. I mean, the whole, the whole, every time we try to twist the Bible away from what it plainly says, always brings about very uh, terrible 
ideas and consequences to those. But to bring it around, I mean, Revoice is trying to normalize a feminacy, right? Mm -hmm. So they're side B, they're not engaged in acts, they say. Mm -hmm. They want to develop what are called spiritual friendships, which would be like covenanted friendships between same-sex people. They they don't want there to be physical activity. They want to be um, celibate. And yet, their affect mm -hmm. is very effeminate, mm -hmm. right? And there's a there's a there's just mannerisms, there's clothing styles mm -hmm. that express our maleness or femaleness. Mm -hmm. And God is unashamed to tie sexuality to clothing. He does it and says that a man should not wear a woman's clothing, yeah. right? And so all of this is 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 part of this, but. But the the revoicers want to get their flame on and yet be in a historic Christian church, okay? And it's a de and really they're defending effeminacy, and yet effeminates will not inherit the kingdom. Mm. So, you know, you brought up um, friendship. I mean, you know, because they would say, well, yes, we have these two men. They are attracted to each other, but they're not going to act on it because, you know, the pattern in the Bible is to get as close to sin as you can without going over the edge. That's sarcasm. Um, and so they're just friends. Um, and they covenanted almost like a marriage, but friends, because they're not going to, of course, consummate it. So what has this kind of um, effeminacy and homosexual culture done to friendships? I mean, this is going to be our last thing. Oh, we run out of time. And I know that's a big question. It's a but... really good topic, but it, it's something I've spoken on at our church. And when when male friendships particularly are, are feminized or effeminized, to coin a word, then men, men do not want to pursue friendships. But the friendships between men are so important. Now, mm -hmm. they're, they're not covenanted, covenanted. They're not built on any sexual tension. That's the glory of friendship. It's a devoid of sexual tension. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I think men, because of the homosexualist movement, because of revoice, because of the spiritual friendship idea that's gaining traction in the church, men's friendships are getting harder and harder to maintain. And rightfully so, because they, they don't want to associate with this. It's not masculine. Mm. It's not godly. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I believe that if you're wondering, if you're listening to this right now, and you, you kind of feel like this whole kind of topic is far away from where you are, um, think about how many, how many men struggle with having friends. They struggle um, not just with maintaining, like you said, friendship, but even just creating friendships, knowing how to talk to another guy. Um, you know, we kind of, you know, I can obviously talk about this forever, but, um, and we're out of time. But I just want you to think about how, how this has been such a big part of no matter what church you go to, um, no matter how far in the cornfield it is, um, we are struggling with this. And we need answers, biblical answers.